For the first few years of my life, my family and I lived in a small town in northeast Texas called Honey Grove, the sweetest town in Texas. One day, I was about five or six years old, and I came home, and my world had been rocked. Things had changed. While I was gone, my dad had taken the training wheels off of my bike, and, and I was not happy. I was in shock. Whenever I was a kid, I had a, I had a radial flyer. Some of you remember those bikes. Here's a picture of them. You remember those bikes? Oh, those, that was a cool bike. And I came home, and the training wheels were off. And I thought, this is not good. This is my, I know how to operate it with the training wheels. But I thought, well, okay, here goes. But it, it didn't go well. So I tried riding my bike, and I got on it. We have a small street out. We had a small street outside of our house there. Hardly any traffic came down it, and so I would ride my bike down the street. And so I, I got out on this street, and I started trying to ride, and the, the, the bike was wobbly and unsteady, and the handlebars were shaky, and I was out of control. And so I thought, okay, here goes. So I took off down the street. One other thing, I had a deathly fear of tarantulas. And so I, I, I turned down the street, and I looked, and right in the middle of the road, just a little ways away from me, is a tarantula. I'm like, well, you can't go that way. So I just took off going this way, and I rode my bike right through Mrs. Routon's garden. I ran over her peas and her tomatoes and her okra and her onions and her flowers, and she was not happy. It was not my finest moment. But you see, my dad wanted me to go to the next level in my bike riding. And he knew eventually the training wheels, they had to come off. We're going through the Sermon on the Mount, and as Jesus progressed through the Sermon on the Mount, he wanted his followers to go to the next level. So he took the training wheels off. Now, to a Jew, training wheels... That was the law. That, that was the Ten Commandments and the 613 laws that they had in the Old Testament. That, that was the training wheels. That, that was never where God designed that they stopped. That was just the beginning point. That was just getting them introduced into having a relationship with Yahweh. So, so he starts to get to the point of the sermon where he takes the training wheels off and, well, the Jewish community didn't like it. Jesus now wanted his children to go to the next level. The, the law focused on the externals, and now he wanted them to not only focus on the externals, but go to the motive behind it, the intent of your heart and your mind. So read with me, starting in verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, 
Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, the judge to the guard, and you will be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better to lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Now, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount Sunday by Sunday, and we started a few weeks ago. Jesus began Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes. That's how you come into the kingdom, the attitudes of, of becoming a Christ follower. And then after that, he talked about influence. You are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. Influence. And then last week, he went from there to talking about the Word, and the Word will not lose one jot or one tittle. The Bible is holy and completely true. Now, I said last week, literally true. Sometimes it's interpreted literally. Sometimes there are expressions or figures of speech and metaphors and similes and parables. It's wholly true and completely true. And, and then he said, your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, or you'll never see the kingdom of God. And then he shifts focus to today. Shifting the focus. That's what Jesus talks about. Shifting the focus from the law to something greater. So let's talk about two of them that Jesus spoke of. First of all, he talked about shifting the focus from the hands to the mouth. From the hands to the mouth. Listen to what he said, verse 21. You have heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder. And whoever does is liable to judgment. Now, he looked back at the Old Testament law, the sixth commandment, where it says, thou shalt not kill. And he says, you, you've heard from a long time ago, it said that. Now, did you notice he said that you've heard that? Because Jews didn't study the Bible for themselves. They had rabbis and scribes that would transcribe it and interpret it and teach it to them. So Jesus didn't say, you've read it from long ago. He said, you have heard of it from long ago because the rabbis taught them. Jesus said, but I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother is liable to judgment. And whoever insults his brother is liable to the council. Notice it goes from the, from the more general to the specific, to judgment, and then the council, talking about the Sanhedrin. And then he says, whoever looks at his brother and says, you fool, is in danger of even more specific, the fires of hell. You see what Jesus did? Did you notice that? He raised the standard from not just the external action of murder, 
but he shifted the focus to the attitude of your heart behind the murder, which is anger towards your brother. He shifted the focus from the hands killing somebody to the mouth of speaking against somebody. He uses the word raka. It means, it means empty head. Don't call your brother or your sister, well, you old empty-headed fool, you. Other translations, you nitwit or you blockhead or, or you idiot or, or moron or other words that were used there, moron being a Greek word, morose. And so he's using that to, to show us, don't call your brother or sister names in anger. Now, to the Jews, as long as they didn't actually commit the physical act of murder, they were fine. Call you what they want. They could hold any grudge they wanted against you. They could resent you. They could not speak to you. They could insult you and blast you. But as long as they didn't actually murder you, they were fine. That was the training wheels. Jesus said, if you even have anger in your heart, you've killed them. Now notice Jesus said, you've heard it said, but I say to you. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine on the hillside that day the shock that must have gone through the crowd when he said that? Can you imagine this morning if, if I stand up here to preach and I read out the Bible and I'll say, now here's what it says, but I'm going to tell you something else. I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what I think. You'd go, who are you? What authority do you have? And some of them may have wondered that day. Not very many people can say, you've heard it said, but I say that showed the authority of Christ. Jesus wasn't against Moses. He wasn't against the law. He didn't lessen the law. He extended the law. And what he said next was equally as shocking Verses 23 and 24. Listen to this. If you are offering your gift at the altar and you remember your brother has something against you, leave the gift at the altar. Go first, be reconciled to your brother, and then come back and offer the gift. Jesus considered it far more important to be reconciled to your brother than he did performing the religious duty. Let me say that again. Jesus considered it far more important to have a relationship with somebody mended than performing a religious duty. Now, the Jews didn't think that. Back in Jesus' day, they thought, I, I can go to church as long as I go to church. If I go to the temple and I bring my ram or my goat and I take it up there and I offer it for the sin, my sins and they're forgiven, it doesn't matter who I am, am, am angry with. It doesn't matter who I've offended. I don't care what you think about me. That's what they thought. And so do we. Because many times we go to church 
whenever we have a relationship that needs to be mended, there's a grudge. There's resentment. There's anger. But oh no, no, I'm, I'm going to go to church. I'm not going to think about it. I'm just going to go to church. I'm going to worship God. And God's going, hold oh, time out, time out. You go get that right first. And then come back. So many times people, people attend church and there's a relationship out there with somebody that you don't want to forgive. It still hurts when you think about it. Maybe they hurt your child. Maybe they hurt your parent. Maybe they fired you. Something's out there. And there's resentment. There's anger. But you'd really come to church. Jesus said the priority, the sequence of how you do this is important. You first make it right, and then you come to church. Now, can you picture this? You're a Jew, first century, you're going to the temple, you got your goat, you're bringing your goat to the temple to sacrifice it for your sins, you get there, and just you're standing in line, and the line moves up, and you still got your goat, and the line moves up, and you're second in line, and God puts on your heart somebody that you need to go, go make it right with and mend the relationship with. And you're thinking, what, what, I'm next in line. Jesus said, tie up your goat. Go make it right. Come back. Untie your goat and offer him to me. The wording he uses is interesting. The word for leave your sacrifice, the word leave is the word divorce. It's Greek. We'll talk about that next week. Jesus talked about that next. Divorce your goat. Separate from it. And go reconcile. And the word he used there for reconcile is fascinating. It's a compound word. It's a word not used by anybody else. In the, this is the only time in the entire New Testament. Dialasomai. Nobody else is talking like this. Nobody else has said that but Jesus. Reconcile. It was used in the Septuagint when the Old Testament was being translated into Greek. One time of David and the Philistines. And it's not used anywhere else in the New Testament. Jesus was the only one talking like this. Go make it right, come back, and offer your gift. Can you imagine standing in line, you stopping to do that? My son said he was at Walmart last week, took him 45 minutes to get through the line because he's standing in line. A lady gets up to the very front and forgot her debit card. So she says, go all the way out to her car, get her debit card, and then come back, and everybody's standing there. But can you imagine you're next in line, and you tie up your goat, and you go make it right, and everybody's waiting on you? Would you do that? How far would you be willing to go to make something right with somebody? How far? Would you go as far as Alvin Strait? Alvin Strait lived on a farm in Lawrence, Iowa. 
He was 73, almost blind, emphysema, diabetes, couldn't get around, couldn't drive anymore, former truck driver, couldn't drive. His older brother, Henry, had a stroke. Henry was 80, seven years older than Alvin. Henry lived in Mount Zion, Wisconsin, 288 miles from Alvin. And so Alvin said, my brother, we haven't spoken for years, but I need to make things right before he dies. He just had a stroke. And he thought, I got to get there. Bus station's 30 miles away. And so here's what Alvin does. He got on his lawnmower. And he drove his lawnmower 288 miles to Mount Zion, Wisconsin. Five miles an hour, 10 hours a day. He, put, he hooked up a, a trailer, a two-wheel trailer. And in the trailer, he had things placed, you know, he'd camp camping equipment where he could cook out when he got hungry at night and place to sleep at night on the side of the road. He, he started off and he got 21 miles down the road down to West Bend, Iowa, and his lawnmower broke down. He had to spend $250 to get it fixed. So he's back on the road again, pulling this trailer on the side of the road, driving to see Henry before he dies because he's got to make things right. He gets halfway there and runs out of money. Does a few things, odd jobs, makes a little more money, and he continues his journey. He gets two miles from Henry's house, and it breaks down again. He goes up to a neighbor, explains to him, I'm Alvin Strait, going to go see my brother Henry. He's had a stroke. And the man said, I, I've, never, I've known Henry all my life, and I've never known him to have a brother. Alvin said, well, he didn't until today. And so the neighbor helped Alvin push the lawnmower the last two miles to get to Henry's house so Alvin and Henry could reconcile. They did. Thankfully, his nephew drove him back home to 288 miles. But they reconciled. And then Henry recovered from his stroke and moved to Iowa so he and Alvin could live out their last days together his brothers. That story was made into a movie called The Straight Story. Here's a picture of it. There's, there's old Alvin headed to go forgive Henry. So what's keeping you from it? What's keeping you from forgiving somebody? making something right and then coming to church to sing praises and offer your gift. Verse 25, Jesus said something else interesting. Come to terms quickly with your enemy while going with him on the road lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, the judge to the guard, they put you in prison, and I'll tell you the truth, you will never get out of that prison until you've paid the very last, he uses the word quadrants, which was the widow's might, penny. So what Jesus was saying was, if you fail to forgive others, you're imprisoned, and you're going to pay every last cent of it. Because folks, lack of forgiveness is a 
prison that you don't get out of until you forgive and you're free. Don't allow the grudges to escalate, Jesus is saying. Settle it now. Then he goes to the second shift of focus. Not just from the hands to the mouth. Now he shifts the focus from the bed to the mind. Now Jesus goes to the seventh commandment, which is thou shalt not commit adultery. And the Jews thought, as long as I do not actually commit adultery, the act of the person, I can lust all I want, I can desire all I want, I can say what I want, I'm, I'm fine as long as I don't commit the act. And Jesus said, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust, the word epithumia means to be hot, lustfully in their heart, have already committed adultery. Now, did you see what Jesus did again? He raised the standard. He raised the standard from not just the physical act, but to the lustful thoughts behind the act. He shifted the focus from the bed to the mind. Now, to the Jews, again, as long as you don't commit the act, you're fine. Jesus said, you're not fine if you have the thoughts. Philosopher Francis Bacon was Lord Chancellor of England in the early 1600s, and he used to say this. It's not what you eat, but it's what you digest that makes you strong. It's not what you gain, but what you save that makes you wealthy. It's not what you read, but what you remember that educates you. And it's not just what you do, it's what you think that makes you godly. Now, I've heard people say, well, you know, Pastor, I, I, I'd already committed adultery in my mind with them, I might as well go ahead and commit the act. No, no, Jesus is not saying that. He's not saying, you know, it, it's the same in your mind as it is the act. The act is far worse. There are much, many more consequences. But he's saying, even in your mind, you need to keep pure. And because of the extreme nature of what Jesus said about adultery, he suggested some extreme measures, verses 29 and 30. He said, if your right eye causes you to sin, the word sin there is scandalizomai, it means, it means scandal. If your right eye causes a scandal, throw it, tear it out, and throw it away. It's a better to go to heaven with one eye than it is two eyes and go to hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to go to heaven with no right hand than it is have two hands and go to hell. Now, he's not talking literally about plucking your eye out and cutting off your hand. Some of the church fathers earlier, they tried that. They thought that Origen was one of them. They tried those things. What Jesus is saying is, the point is, take drastic measures to keep your thoughts pure. 
Whatever you have to get rid of, whatever you have to stop doing, whatever you have to stop watching, whatever subscription you have to cancel to keep your thoughts pure, do it. It's worth it. Whatever website you need to just pass on by, whatever you need to do to take actions, it's worth it, extreme measures, to keep your mind pure. Do it. It's worth it. Now let me summarize. I think we can summarize by what you see on the screen there of identifying your values. Jesus is saying, identify your values. You need to have right relationships with other people. And you need to have integrity in your mind. You need to have right relationships with other people. And you need to have integrity in your mind. I know today is our family dedication day, and it was so good to have all of our families up here. But you know, it's not an accident as we were, as I was going through the Sermon on the Mount, seeing that that was the two passage, that passage that we came to today, those two items. Because in families today, anger and infidelity are two huge issues. And that's what Jesus talked about. Have integrity in your relationships and integrity in your mind. Because it's not that long of a journey from your hands to your mouth. And it's not that far of a journey from the bed to your mind. Keep yourself pure. It was April the 14th, 1912, 11.40 p.m. at night. The cruise liner RMS Titanic was on her maiden voyage from Southampton, England, to New York City. Frederick Fleet, at 11.40 p.m. that night, alerted the bridge there was an iceberg ahead. First Officer William Murdoch saw it, ordered the ship to be steered around, but the ship was going too fast. It was going 21 knots. It's about 24 miles an hour. It's too fast. Couldn't get around the iceberg. The iceberg dented the hull of the Titanic, Water began to fill the compartments, and you know what happened. About four hours later, the ship broke apart. And of the 2,224 passengers on board, 1,523 of them drowned. The deadliest sinking of a ship at that time. Initial inquiries and investigation began immediately. What really happened? We know the iceberg hit it, but this was supposed to be indestructible. What happened? And investigators finally determined that it hit the iceberg and there was a 300-foot-long huge gash through the hull of the ship. That's what they said. 300-feet-long gash. In fact, here's a picture of the, what they projected on the left, there's how the ship broke apart after it went underwater. And on the right is what they, they determined the 300-foot-long gash 
in the hull of the Titanic and brought it down. But something interesting happened. 1985, they discovered the wreckage off the coast of Newfoundland. Sure enough, broken into two parts, and sure enough, the parts are about a quarter of a mile apart. But now they had a new investigative team, and they had technology and equipment to kind of go in and see exactly what happened. Lead investigator Paul Mathias said, we made a, a shocking discovery about the Titanic. The, the, the bow was, was covered in about 50 feet of mud, but they had sonar equipment that went in, and they could see perfectly what happened, and they were shocked. There was no gash. 300 feet, no, it's not there. Then what brought down the Titanic? They found six tiny, long strips of cracks. No more than four feet square. Six of them. Thin, long cracks. Six of them. And when it hit the iceberg, the cracks weakened the steel rivets. They, became a, they came apart, and water began to fill the Titanic. It wasn't the huge gash. It was tiny little cracks. 52-ton ship. 900 feet long, 200 feet high, 3,500 passengers it carried, considered unsinkable. Six tiny cracks. Well, folks, I want to tell you, it's, it's not the long gashes of your life that bring you down. It's the thoughts. It's the unforgiveness. It's those little cracks that you don't think are really much of anything thoughts and actions and lack of forgiveness and lust and a website those are the ones bring down your ship keep your mind pure father i want to thank you today for the words of jesus God, it's a tall order. I know that sometimes it's easy to read what he said in the Sermon on the Mount and say, yeah, I know I need to do that and go on about our lives lacking forgiveness and go on with grudges and go on with resentment and go on just day after day and week after week, all the while going to church and bringing our goat up here. And Lord, I know sometimes it's, it's easy to think things we shouldn't think, but help us, Father, to know it's the integrity of our minds make us what you want us to be so Lord whatever decision we need to make today help us to make it to you and be the people you want us to be in Jesus name I pray Amen